0: On this week's TribCast, we'll talk about the standoff between the House and the Senate over property taxes and school finance, the state's decision to end a botched voter citizenship review, and the fate of marijuana decriminalization in the Texas legislature. But before we do, I want to thank our TribCast sponsors, Ambassador Antonio Garza, Mexico is more than just a neighbor. For timely cross-border insight, turn to former U.S. Ambassador Antonio Garza at TonyGarza.com and Lone Star College. Learn why over 99,000 students choose Lone Star College for affordable access to high-quality higher education. Nationally recognized, globally connected, locally focused. LoneStar.edu. to talk you Do we have to make, make- sense of sense? Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Wednesday, May 1st with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by an all-editor crew. You notice I didn't say all-star. All-editor crew, <laughs> Editor Ian Mitra. Hi. Hello, Political Editor Aman Bethija. Hello. Hello, and Breaking News Editor Matthew Watkins.
1: We finally got rid of all those pesky reporters. I know, you know, it <laughs> took us a while. It took
0: us a few weeks to do. As always, we'll take your questions in real time on Twitter and Facebook. You can do it using the hashtag Tribcast. All right, Matthew, since you were most recently a reporter, uh, let's start with you and the news from last night um, where the House took up the Senate's version of a long-awaited property tax rollback bill. Um, Catch us up, what had the House already done to the bill before it got to the House floor, and why was that significant?
1: Well, they had uh, basically kind of put their own you know, uh, ideas into the bill. Um, the, the latest kind of uh, version to come out now is a 3.5% uh, property tax revenue trigger for cities and counties, meaning that if the counties want to increase their revenue on existing properties by 3.5% or more, they're going to have to get uh, approval from the voters to do it. Um, and you know, the the big thing is really though what happened yesterday and, and what is continuing to happen today is kind of the the staring contest between the chambers. The chambers for the last couple of weeks have kind of been st- eyeing each other kind of warily, uh, you know, the, the House seems to be putting school finance reform at the number one kind of top priority that they're working for. The Senate has spent, you know, more focus on the property taxes. And the bills have been in the other respective chambers and kind of slowly advancing uh together. You know, what happened yesterday with the House voting out the property tax bill was it kind of broke that logjam, and you saw this morning the Senate Education Committee voting out the school finance bill. They're going to vote as a chamber on that bill on Friday. And basically what we had here is, or what we're going to have here is a situation where at the end of this week, it's very likely that the um, both chambers will have passed out the top three bills of this session.
0: Which is, I think, something we weren't sure was going to happen at this point. I mean, there had even been like rumblings about whether we were going to see a special session. You know, normally at the end of any session, there's sort of this political hostage taking where one chamber won't move on a bill until the other chamber moves on its prize bill. D- do you feel fully like the log jam is broken here and that they're going to find middle ground on this that would avoid a special session?
1: There's, I mean, there's definitely a lot of work that still needs to be done. And even if they get through this week, as expected, where basically all the bills are either already in conference committee or are you know basically heading that direction. There's still differences between the bills that need to be worked out. All these things kind of tie together. There's revenue sources that need to be figured out. There is, um, you know, uh, teacher pay is a big one. The Senate wants to um, give every teacher a $5,000 raise. The House wants to be a little bit more flexible in how that money is spent. Um, and then one of the big sources of revenue and kind of the big kind of piece of legislation that's still kind of sitting there and we're not sure what's gonna happen is the, prop- the sales tax swap. Mm-hmm. And so one way to kind of pay for this, one way to actually significantly bring down people's property taxes is to raise the sales tax cent That is, that require, it would go to a vote to the voters, um, would require two thirds approval in both chambers. And I think there's a lot bigger questions about whether that can get done.
0: Even though it has the support of all the big th- of the big 3.
1: Yeah. But if at the end of this week we have a school finance bill, a property tax bill and a budget all in conference committee or really close to being in conference committee. I think basically we have a situation here where obviously a lot needs to be worked out, but there really is kind of a light at the end of the tunnel there and it there you know there seems to be areas where compromises could be made and it seems very possible to kind of get out of this session without a complete meltdown like we've seen in past sessions
0: which we love
2: <laughs> yep so you were talking about the sales tax swap which is you know which is like the clear mechanism that they're using to you know try to get you know relief versus reform on property taxes you know it but You know, there there are big numbers that we're talking about here, but when it comes down to like actual homeowners and stuff, it's like, what are the numbers at this point now with kind of the bills? I know like when we were talking about compression with like lowering the tax rate, we were talking about what like a roughly $100 $100 break for a, you know, a property tax or homeowner with a $250,000 house. Is that kind of still kind of the number we're looking at?
1: That's right. So that's the number in the House's school finance bill. Um, Unclear how it'll end up coming out of the Senate. Um, But yeah, that's, uh, you know, small relief, not not something that people are going to really significantly feel, especially considering that property values keep going up. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the property tax bill doesn't provide any relief. It's right. all uh, kind of slowing future growth. So if you are really going to knock that number down, you've got to do the, yeah. the sales tax. Um, you know one of the issues here is we don't really know how much savings will come from a sales tax swap because we don't know exactly what a sales tax swap will look like in order to get the two-thirds of each chamber you have to kind of find that sweet spot where you're not angering Democrats over a increasing a regressive tax you know and in order to get them on board you might need to throw some of that money towards school finance but you also don't want to lose enough Republicans where they kind of want a one-for-one swap, where all the money being raised by a sales tax increase is going toward reducing property taxes. Otherwise, you could argue it's a tax increase. Um, Where that lands and if they can actually find a spot where it lands will be what determines kind of how much savings people could actually possibly get on their property taxes.
0: And so, what did the deliberations last night look like? Was there any drama? I mean, this dragged on and on, but you know, what did the deliberations look like, and how did they end up?
1: Yeah, there were there were a lot of um, there were a lot of amendments, a lot of amendments that failed. A lot of it was just kind of dragging on. We kind of knew a lot of these amendments were going to fail. We knew where this was heading. Um, you know, I would say the biggest part of drama of the night was um, represent, Representative Stickland's amendment to untether. The property tax bill from the sales tax or the from the school finance bill right. um the idea here is that the house cares so much about school finance they don't want and also you in order to address school property taxes you have to um address it in the uh, education code right
0: i mean these two things are also intrinsically exactly. linked correct you, right local it, property taxes and school funding
1: exactly so the house made the Passage of the property tax bill contingent on the passage of the school finance bill. Stickland, uh, you know, a, uh, a Freedom Caucus member, kind of a bomb thrower in the House, wanted to separate those, saying like this runs at us a risk of getting nothing at the end of the session. Um, there were, you know, some kind of. Excited, harsh words uh, between him and uh, Representatives Burroughs and Huberty, the the kind of main authors authors of the school finance and uh, property tax bills in the House. Um, ultimately, that amendment failed. Um, only five people voted in favor of it. So, you know, I think one of the things we've really seen is that you know the the school finance bill passed uh, nearly unanimously, uh, Stickland being the only no vote. The property tax bill bill passed with uh, around a hundred votes uh, you know around two-thirds of the house that people really seem to be on the same page on these big issues in the house right now Right. Uh,
0: well speaking of the legislature we got some news out of the Senate and lieutenant governor Dan Patrick this week Ian, uh, following the house passing a bill to reduce criminal penalties for marijuana possession what happened over in their uh, sister chamber
2: yeah, so uh, you know, uh, Alex Samuels from the Tribune has been all over this story uh, from the beginning. You know, this week the House actually passed uh, uh, a legislation that would uh, basically reduce the criminal penalties, uh, basically for you know certain amounts of pot. Uh, to less than an ounce would be you know equivalent to like a misde- you know, class D misdemeanor. Uh, like they a they ca- ticket right? Yeah, like the equivalent of that, and then you know from for like one to two ounces, it slightly goes up. So you know, this is a uh, Representative Joe Moody's bill. He's tried a couple of in the past couple of sessions to pass this. It's never really gotten to the floor, and this time he actually got to the floor and you know and got votes. You know they you know, there were some amendments to address some concerns about the penalties for this, but you know at, now that it's passed the House, it just seems like that's going to you know as of now it seems like that's going to be where it ends because the Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick basically said you know this thing is dead in the Senate. Uh, you know before before he said that the Criminal Justice Committee Chair in the Senate John Whitmire, who's a Democrat from Houston. Basically said that it's dead, even though I don't think he necessarily is opposed to this. It's just that he doesn't think he's going to get the votes, and he doesn't want to waste time in this tight time frame uh, to discuss it or move it if if it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, right. Dan Patrick has been, you know, this has has been on record here. This is not something new for him about you know his concerns with. Uh, uh, with with uh, with what he thinks is this is a path to legalizing marijuana, which, you know, Joe Moody on the floor would t- took issue with that kind of uh, designation.
0: Right. So is it a surprise that this legislation even got as far as it did in the House?
2: It's pretty surprising. Now, if you look at polls, it would indicate that there is kind of a movement going in, in uh, towards this in the state. You know, the last, I think, Texas Tribune, University of Texas poll that we did last year showed, you know, more than 60, 65 percent were kind of in favor of you know, uh, you know, lighter penalties for for uh, marijuana possession. In fact, and, and more than half were actually, uh, you know, in favor of just kind of you know, decriminalizing marijuana use. So
0: I bet a solid fifty percent of our readers are stoners. Well, there's a solid fifty percent of the panel probably here. <laughs> exactly. As far, so, you know. exactly. That's the reason why two of us have these voices that sound so hoarse <laughs> this week. Um, so, is there a chance that this legislation could get revived at all, or tacked onto something else? You know the way yeah. that like beer and wine sales did. I mean, where could this end up, or is this dead on arrival?
2: I, I constantly hear Ross Ramsey's voice in my head. Don't oh, ever know, kill a bill before it's dead. That's but, why I didn't include him on this. Yeah, week's trip. yeah. <laughs> I knew you'd do you're, it. You're speaking with hope. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to see uh, an avenue for this when the when the lieutenant governor, who has so much control over what comes up in the Senate is so adamantly opposed to this. So it's really hard to see that. Now, obviously, you know, we're in the last month of the session, there are things that can get, you know, held up and traded and things like that. I just don't know that this is going to be the one. And as Whitmire said, uh, you know, he wants to focus on things that he really feels like has a chance of passing um, in the Senate. So it's hard to see an avenue for this, but you never say never
0: it's interesting because you know decriminalization and sort of criminal justice reform or prison reform has really been something on which the right and the left have gotten together and have worked in recent sessions and this piece of legislation in particular seems like an avenue you know to keep more people out of you know restrictive lockup settings it's interesting to me that this is the area in which marijuana in particular is the area in which the you know far right is sort of drawing the line
3: i'm not clear if (coughs) this bill would have actually passed the senate if it got to the floor but I can't think of another issue off the top of my head that it's like damn Patrick is keeping it from moving forward. Mm-hmm. He, he usually doesn't have to even go that far. And so I just it makes me wonder if maybe, you know, he's already said he's running for re-election but that won't be for till 2022, but it does make me wonder if this could become a big issue for him politically just because he is now the base of the opposition.
1: Right. Well, and this is part of the GOP the Texas GOP's platform, right, right, in order to, to reduce the pil- penalties and it's interesting you saw last session, you know, the former speaker of the house Joe Strauss getting in trouble with his party uh, for, you know, supposedly taking positions or votes or killing bills that were supported in the platform. Um, I don't think you're quite seeing the same reaction. I think obviously Dan Patrick has a much different relationship mm. with the the GOP grassroots, but it has been interesting to see the reaction to this um, anger on the left, but also certain segments on the right that this isn't Yeah, going and forward. to
2: build on your point, I mean, Greg Abbott, the governor has been, you know,
1: has shown not necessarily a
2: huge opening here, but he has, you know, expressed like some opening to kind of lightened penalties in this. So it's not, you know, it's not an open and shut thing among the, the party's leadership. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, so. it is just really interesting how much this issue has changed.
0: Oh, my God, even in just the last couple of sessions. Yeah,
1: it seemed unimaginable that uh, this bill would get through the House, you know, four or five years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, every year I say, like, oh, the gambling bills, the casino bills don't have a chance, the casino bills don't have a chance. I feel like I said that with the marijuana bills for years, and you're watching it change. So, as Ross Ramsey says, never say never. (laughs) All right, before our next topic, I'd like to thank two more TribCast sponsors, the Episcopal Health Foundation, Providing millions of dollars in grants, working with congregations and community partners, and providing important research. See how the Episcopal Health Foundation is working to improve health, not just healthcare in Texas. More at episcopalhealth.org. And the independent colleges and universities of Texas. Private colleges, public purpose. Texas's independent colleges and universities are as diverse as the students and communities they serve. Learn more at icut.org. Okay, I'm on. Last week on the TribCast, there was a robust discussion of former congressional candidate MJ Hager throwing in for U.S. Senate in a bid to unseat uh, Senator John Cornyn. The name we've all been waiting, maybe, to enter the race is U.S. Representative Joaquin Castro, the San Antonio Democrat. Uh, That announcement has been very slow to come. What is going on?
3: Well, so about a week or two ago, uh, Castro had mentioned, asked at a press conference, about is it, when he's gonna decide. He mentioned something about May 1st. He's In the past, he's made his announcements either on or after May 1st. And then uh, on Friday, uh, someone from his team told uh, our own Abby Livingston, and she reported it, that he would make his decision by Wednesday, May 1st. We're at I Wednesday? today, the yes. time when
0: we're recording this podcast. And
3: we have not heard anything. We do know that um, John Cornyn and Joaquin Cash are both appearing at a press conference very soon, This sometime this afternoon. Unrelated to anything political. Yeah, that would be a strange place to make an announcement. <laughs> but it's also a strange day to make the announcement if you're right be at on a stage with somebody else. Unless you're not running. Um, but all we what we've heard is just ever since it, you know it was about a month ago that uh, the the reports came out, including in the Tribune, about you know he's all but certain to run. And ever since then, it's just been silence from him and his team. And a lot of his supporters have been really frustrated and baffled. The, there were some people that we were talking to who. You know, very connected inside Texas politics and D.C. politics, who were absolutely convinced he was getting in the race. You know, three weeks ago, and it was going to be any day now. And now they're just really confused.
0: So let's talk about the different factors that could be. Let's pretend that we're Joaquin Castro trying to make this decision. You know, so far his brother's presidential campaign has been like, you know, on the low end of the spectrum from the standpoint of how he's polling and his fundraising and stuff like that. I mean, could that be factoring into this?
3: Well, there was a lot of speculation that even him getting into the race potentially was um, in part related to his brother's presidential bread. Maybe that would make them more of, together more formidable in Texas or it might boost his brother's campaign somehow. Um, it, w- it was unclear, but um, there was also just a lot of speculation of, or questions of why he would even bother running for statewide office right now because he has such a like a plum spot in the house yeah
0: talk about that a little bit I mean he's got a pretty solid reputation great committee roles yeah, he's
3: on the intelligence committee which is you know re- kind of a really prestigious assignment he's he is in a, kind of a pathway to leadership at some point in the future or at least was if he, if he stays um, and so there there was questions of like every time he even talked about running for higher office a lot of people just dismissed it as you know it's never gonna happen he's, he's just in too great of a position in the house um, but this last month, has just kept everyone kind of guessing. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's this, this not the first time he's done this, right? Like right. in 2012, or no, sorry, what year am I talking about? Uh, tw- you know, 2017. With, with Beto, yeah, 2017. Yeah, 2017. Uh, I mean, this was kind of a similar thing, right? It, you know, he was rumored around the you know, the, the Senate race last time.
3: Right, and, and in that case, it was, you know, th- this was before Bedor campaign caught fire. So there was a feeling of, oh, he's not going to run. He's going to stay in the House, and no Democrat's going to really kind of, contest Cruz seriously. And then Pedro Works campaign did so well, and he just barely lost. And so this time there was more pressure on him to either like, you know, make a decision or let others kind of have that
0: lane. (laughs) I mean, would you assume that he has talked to MJ Hager? You know, she was being pretty careful like about not stepping on other people's toes. She was very much, you know, she said publicly like, if Wendy Davis says she's gonna run, then I'm not gonna run, you know, I'm not interested in this sort of inner party fight.
3: She has ta- she has uh, she has told us that she's talked to Hague, to Castro, mm-hmm. and um, that it's been and she's also said that uh, it's going if if he does get in the race they she's they both are intent on keeping it kind of um, kind yes <laughs> and not uh, and making it about cornyn and making it about what's best for democrats and not getting into mudslinging uh, but at the same time ever like over the last month along with hearing about this debate over whether Castro is getting in or not we'd also heard this debate over you know s- insider. Kind of speculation on like both Castro and Hager are kind of angling to be the first to get in mm-hmm. because they think that'll help their momentum. So when Hager got in, there was just this the speculation increased that Castro wasn't getting in because why why hadn't he gotten in by
0: now? Right. And then talk a little bit about his uh, fundraising numbers. Right. Uh, so this was particularly weird. W-
3: you know, if you're a member of the House uh, and you decide you're running for Senate, you can transfer your money to your Senate race uh, and. Often, when uh, a member of the House is signaling that they're running for higher office, they really boost up, ramp up their fundraising. Castro reported raising thirty-six thousand dollars in the first quarter, which is uh, pathetic. I, 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 I there. doesn't uh, mince words. <laughs> it's more than I have in my bank account. Yeah, right. So I, mean, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, uh, what um, what one person had told me was that um, if I had seen this on any other member, I would just assume they're retiring. So it was. Wow. Uh, it was. Uh, it, it was just. Uh, a very bizarre situation where you have that number, and yet he still hasn't announced whether he's running or not.
0: Wow. So what do you think is going to happen here? I T- think I'm think i just forcing you to make you know, predictions. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he he, they, he picked a yeah, <laughs> perfect time.
0: I think he's not running.
3: I mean, it's, I think with the press conference today, we're not going to find out.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I also thought by Wednesday, by the way, when, when p- people say they're announcing by Wednesday, just for the record, you should announce by the end of the night on Tuesday. Grammatically, by Wednesday <laughs> means you should have done it on Tuesday. <laughs> so we're not getting an announcement on Wednesday, I don't think. This now is, we're hearing it could be later than that. I was
1: gonna say, this is like Beto saying he's gonna have a decision by, was it? Oh, March end of February or something. Or right, something. Yeah. And then, but he had the decision, but he wasn't gonna announce it till right. later. But I think it's like interesting to look at the Castro twins and kind of their position in state democratic politics. Right? They were seen as these two people who could really be the future of the party and could really be kind of the people to kind of take charge if and when Texas becomes more of a purple state. And then you obviously see Julian kind of eyeing presidential run, but they each time kind of a statewide race comes up, they they kind of flirt with it and then back out. Then obviously you see Beto come in and kind of steal the thunder. And I wonder if there's any worry just about, the, about that happening again. You know, I mean, you have now MJ Hager in this race that could possibly, some people think, might be competitive in 2020? Are they just kind of, are they at risk of losing their kind of stature in Texas?
3: There's kind of two modes of thought right now among Democrats about this Senate race. One thinks, and uh, Chuck Schumer is reportedly in this camp, that MJ is the better uh, candidate for- uh, To
0: actually win the seat. And to
3: to be the top of the ticket for Democrats uh, in Texas. Uh, and the other camp thinks Castro would be much better, despite this kind of weird rollout, which no, which they are. No one will remember right. next year. But they also just think uh, Castro, g- given w- his kind of stature in the party, but also just being a Hispanic, will do more for Hispanic turnout next year, and that is what the party needs to actually turn Texas purple.
1: Hmm. I, I mean, ultimately, I don't think anyone is going to vote in 20. 20- uh, twenty based on how the rollout went in right. April. Right. Nobody 2019. ever remembers yeah. the rollout. So yeah, I mean, if it's, it feels like if he wants to get in the race, there's still plenty of time yeah. to kind of emerge as a big time force in the race.
0: It just seems like he was so close to making an announcement, and we were hearing from people so close to him that it was imminent, mm-hmm. and that was weeks ago that something must have happened that has changed the calculus.
3: I feel like if he had done it weeks ago and Hager got in the race, she would have been seen as kind of like a second-tier candidate. Right. And now it feels like they're more on equal footing if he were to get in the race.
0: Yeah. All right, uh, Matthew, I wanna circle back with you uh, for the news on what's happening with the botched voter citizenship review that Texas Secretary of State's office undertook earlier this year. Um, tell us the latest headlines there. There have been some big ones since we met last.
1: Well, it's uh, it's coming to an end. The uh, basically, you know, this this review uh, announced, you know, a few months ago, um, the state kind of identifying uh, nearly a hundred thousand voters who had indicated at some point and time that um, that they were not citizens when they received their driver's license or some other kind of identification from the Department of Public Safety. Um, It was touted, when it was rolled out, as a sign of kind of widespread voter fraud in Texas. It was kind of promoted as, you know, they've identified 100,000 potential illegal voters. Uh, President Trump tweeted about it. uh, And there was immediate skepticism, um, as our reporter, Alexa Ura, you know, smartly pointed out um, right upon the announcement. Um, They, uh, a bunch of civil rights groups sued um, over this review and this week um, or uh, last week, they uh, the state settled by basically giving those civil rights groups everything they asked for. They're going to stop the review. They're going to rescind this list. They're going to pay the civil rights groups' attorneys' fees, which
0: is about half a million dollars. Yeah,
1: and so um, you know. It's hard not to look at this as a kind of concession, as a, a, a defeat. You know, you said botched voter review. Um, it hasn't, you know, they're not going to accomplish their goal with it, whether it was a political goal or a, you know, sincere attempt to clean mm-hmm. up the voter rolls. Um, and, and now here we are with uh, less than a month left in the session, the, the Secretary of State, David Whitley, who unrolled this um, is at risk of, Losing his job over it because he can't get confirmation in the Senate. And do you think uh, that's
0: likely? Do you think there's any likelihood that he's going to be confirmed by the end of the session?
1: There's been a new push to uh, kind of reach out to Democrats and say, you know, we've
0: a culpa. Yeah, you know.
1: We've, we've done the right thing here, We're, we've settled this, this fight is over. Um, there has been no public indication that any Democrats are receptive to this uh-huh. idea. Basically, again, it's another situation where you need two-thirds of the Senate to approve. Democrats have more than a third of the chamber, and so he needs to flip two Democratic votes. Right now, all the Democrats are in unison against his confirmation. Um, you know, you never say never until the, the session is over, but um, you know, there is definitely an attempt among democratic groups, liberal leaning groups to kind of hold the line here. And you know, this could be a real win for them to kind of have blocked this review and also blocked the nomination of, of Whitley.
0: So what does this mean for the, you know, Republican lawmakers' future efforts to, you know, examine the integrity of the voter rolls? You know, voter, the the integrity of the voter rolls has been a huge thing for Republicans over the last couple of years. There's so much talk about it, about people, you know, improperly casting ballots, allegedly. Does this put a huge damper on any of their future efforts? Could they do this again, or is this now just so toxic and so obviously politically dangerous that they have to steer clear?
1: So the thing that they can do again is, I mean, they can continue to like find ways to kind of clean up the roles. you know, perfectly legal and they're they're required by law to do that. Um, the issue with this particular one is it was, I mean, it was, it's hard to view it as not a cynical effort to kind of gin up headlines and over exaggerate the, the issue here. I mean, uh, you know, as uh, Alexa's reporting has bared out and as testimony in court hearings over this has come out, uh, people in state government knew that by creating this list the way they did, you would it- include a lot of naturalized citizens who are have every right to vote. Um, they would be flagged in this and have their their citizenship questioned. And that this number, 100,000, know, nowhere near that number would actually be illegitimate voters. Um, so the use of this method is gone now. As a part of this settlement, they have to rescind the list and they can't do it again. They can do other methods, one possible method they do. I mean, one of the issues here is that um, what was happening is you only have to renew your driver's license every six years. And when you become a naturalized citizen, you don't have to update DPS and say, hey, I'm a citizen now. You just, the next time you come in, right. you don't tell them you're Could not a citizen. five years, six yeah, years. exactly. Right, four years. And so um, what they can do under the settlement is they can find people who registered to vote before they indicated to DPS that they were not citizens, which would, is you know the the people the plaintiffs in this lawsuit the people suing the state find a perfectly legitimate method um most likely you're going to get that list is going to be far 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 smaller than a hundred thousand
0: it seems like maybe the list they should have started with in exactly. the first place if they're actually looking for people who shouldn't be voting exactly right. Yeah. all right all right, well, that's all the time we have this week. Uh, thanks to uh, Ambassador Antonio Garza, Lone Star College, the Episcopal Health Foundation, and the Independent Colleges and Universities of Texas, our sponsors this week. An extra special thanks to Spoon for our theme music. On behalf of Ian, Aman, Matthew, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening.